the title I was given was Identity and Intimacy, and those two things are very linked because uh, knowing our identity in God, knowing who we are in Him, having confidence in our relationship with Him uh, opens the door for, for intimacy, opens the door for deepening relationship and for comfortable, confident relationship. I guess if you want to think of it in these terms, if you meet somebody for the first time or you're only... Uh, lim- got a limited acquaintance with someone you're unlikely to you know share your your soul bear your soul with someone you've only met for a few times or you might be that kind of a person which usually makes people a bit scared of you um, but mostly we we tend to relate to people according to how well we've got to know them how well they f- we feel they know us whether we know they love us like us you know there's, there's dynamics of relationships that go on that that at human level but also that's true with God that if we are not confident or comfortable or certain about how he views us what he thinks about us how he wants to engage with us it will have an impact uh, not only on our daily uh, Christian lives but it'll have an impact on our prayer life and as we're particularly focusing on prayer in this seminar I just want to try and give you some practical things to help with identity that will then lead into intimacy and hopefully um, my my dream would be that just some little nuggets from this morning would just land in your heart you're going to forget most of what's said as it happens in every seminar and every session but there will always be some things that just land in your in your spirit that the holy spirit just uh, particularly roots in you and they will produce fruit so i'm just going to pray that god will help us together because he knows every one of us he knows what all of your needs are and your perspectives far more than I do so I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will help us as we look at these things so Father we want to open our hearts to you now and to welcome you Holy Spirit uh, among us we thank you that you are present we ask Holy Spirit that you would do what only you can do You're the giver of life. You're the one who reveals truth. You're the one who sets us free. You're the one who leads us into all good things that God has for us. So we're asking you, Holy Spirit, we're dependent on you. We're asking you that you would move in these uh, minutes we have together during this session. We pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. Help me to know when to focus in on something, when to leave it, when to move on. We just ask for your help with these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to try and be, uh, to give you sort of a structure to perhaps, you know, I I quite like structure. I kind of like talks where I know, you know, where I'm going and hopefully, you know, when I'm at the end. Um, So I'm going to give you three sort of headings. I'm going to talk about choosing, abiding and engaging. So if you want to make notes on your phone or on a piece of paper, choosing, abiding and engaging and I'd encourage you just to just to jot down anything that you particularly feel God perhaps might want you to give some thought to uh, following on from this so start with choosing the Bible says that when you know the truth it's it's truth in other words God's authoritative word it's truth that sets us free so it's not feelings that set us free it's not um, experiences that set us free. It is truth that sets us free. Now, often when we encounter God's truth, there are experiences, there are um, sensations, there are feelings, there are emotions, but all of those things are the products 
of truth actually unlocking something in us that produces an effect. It's like if you open uh, an envelope um, and there's a check inside it that someone sent you. You might show an emotion of jumping around the room excitedly. That jumping around the room did not produce the money in the envelope, right? It's the money in the envelope that's produced the emotion. So with the Christian life, everything we experience, and, and God wants us to have experiences with him. We're not just learning concepts. We're having experiences with God. Experiences of God and with God by the Spirit are really, really important. God expects that. He, he desires that. He wants to encounter with each one of us this morning. But experiences, if they are genuinely of God, always have their rooting, their grounding, their authenticating origin in truth, in biblical revelation and one of the most important truths that we can get ever get hold of in our Christian lives is the fact that God chose us so in Ephesians 1 um, it says this and I really should have should have brought a bigger Bible Uh, it says for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. So let me just uh, unpack that a little bit. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says, you did not, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I, I chose you. And the reason he's saying that is when we become Christians, Many of you here will already have received Christ and, and, have, and have given your life to Christ and received his, his forgiveness and accepted him as your Savior and your Lord. Most of you will be in that situation. Some of you here will be maybe on the edges of that and you've been brought to New Day by friends or family or you were bundled into a car at midnight and nobody quite knows how you got here. But a lot of you will be here who are still sort of exploring, well, I don't quite know, you know where I am yet with this journey. You're on a bit of a journey. But the thing is, every single one of us, when we do come to that point of praying that kind of prayer uh, and acknowledging, yes, Jesus, I receive your lordship, I receive your salvation, I receive the forgiveness that you offer, I repent of my sin, I give my life to you, Whenever, however we express that in prayer, when we come to that moment, it can feel to us as if we have made a decision based on something that we have decided to do. But the Bible makes it very clear that behind that response, behind that presenting set of things that happens that we do, God has been at work and originally chose us and began working on us and in us and around us long before we ever responded to him. So it feels to us as if we've made a choice and we've you know, we've accepted Christ and that was our independent free will choice. But the Bible says no. God was working in you, every one of you that's become a Christian, God was at work in you before you ever even gave him a thought. He was at work in you when you were spiritually dead, when you were incapable of becoming a Christian. Every single one of us born into this world was born spiritually dead. That's what the fall of man is about. Sin has rendered us spiritually dead, cut off from God, not able to find him on our own. We, have no, we are without God, without hope in this world. We're actually enemies of God. We set ourselves up as those who are in charge. We do not want to know anything about God. We do not want his rule over us. We live independently as people in the world completely refusing and not even interested in God whatsoever. 
That is how we are born into this world. Every single one of us. No person can make themselves a Christian because we're spiritually dead. It's like going into a graveyard and telling everybody to get up. Nothing will happen. If you go into a room full of people and say, you all need to come to know the Lord, and you think, actually, I've persuaded them through my, through my uh, testimony, through my words, and people respond, you think, oh, my words did that. No, if anyone ever responds to the gospel through anything you say to them, it's because God, the Holy Spirit, is at work in them long before you got on the scene. There's something God does in us before we are even aware of it, and it's called being born again. We're bring, God brings our dead spirits to life. It's a mystery how that happens, when it happens, how it happens. We don't necessarily feel it happen. Our first awareness of it is that we feel ourselves believing in Jesus and we respond to him. So it's important we understand we didn't, suddenly st- we didn't accidentally stumble into the Christian life. God has predestined every single one of you who knows him from before the creation of the world because he loves you, he chose you, he wanted you. You have been chosen by him. There is something God did in before the, the Bible says Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Even in God's heart, He knew all that was going to happen, and He'd He'd already purposed Jesus would be given for you and me, so that we, we could be brought into relationship with the Father. And then, because because God knew that sin, our separation from God, uh, was was not possible to just. Um, uh, it, 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 the wages of sin is death. Death, has to, death was what was coming to us. It was what we, uh, what we were due. It's the inevitable consequence of turning away from God. Death comes into the world, which we've seen ever since Adam and Eve. Death and sin and the brokenness in the world are the result of our sin. And, and we can't fix it. It can't be fixed. God knew that death had to be dealt with. And the only way, and sin had to be dealt with. So how he did that was he sent Jesus who lived the life that we should have lived but couldn't live. Jesus lived the perfect life, never sinned, was never separated from God, never turned his back on God, lived the perfect life that you and I could never live and that no human being has ever managed to live. And he was crucified on the cross in our place, on our behalf, taking the full weight of punishment of the world that we deserved on his shoulders. And as Martin Luther says... Uh, the, at that moment, this amazing divine exchange took place where all of our sin was placed on Jesus instead of being visited on us. And all of Christ's righteousness was placed on us instead of him. We became the righteousness of God. What Jesus did on the cross brought us into God's family so that all of our sin, all of our shame, all the wrong things you and I have ever done, are doing, or will ever ever do, Jesus paid for all of that, took it, nailed it to the cross. It's defeated. Death is defeated. You and I, if we know Jesus, are going to live forever. Even when our body dies, one day we'll be raised to life it was an incorruptible body. Jesus has done all of that for us. And we sing songs about the justification of God, of, of uh, freeing us from sin. We, we sing songs about the cross and the victory of the cross. And all of that is absolutely true, right, and marvelous. And if we st- stop there, it would be enough still for the rest of our lives to give thanks to God that he presented his son as a sacrifice so that we would know life. Amen? It is a tremendous thing. We can never tire of thanking God for giving Jesus to us. But what is vital to this whole understanding of salvation is that 
justification, this dealing with our sin, this sort of courtroom drama where the guilty is, a, is acquitted because of the price has been paid by someone else, the, the punishment has been visited on someone else. What is crucial to that whole thing is, is to know this. In those verses I read, it said, he predestined us that we might be adopted as his sons according to his pleasure and will. Now let me just make a couple of points about, about that. Justification or Jesus dying on the cross in order that our sins were forgiven and dealt with, justification doesn't necessarily have to lead to adoption. In other words, if you were um, accused of a crime and you, and that you were guilty of and you, you were in the court and the judge was there listening to the case for the defense prosecution, and uh, someone came in and said, look, I'm going to pay the fine for this. I'm going to take the punishment for this. This person can go free because I'm, I'm willing to, take, uh, to, to pay for what they've done. And the judge <clears throat> looks at that and thinks, yes, justice is done by that, so uh, you're now free to go. It is not necessary to the legal process for the judge to then turn to the accused and say, and by the way, I'm going to adopt you into my family. If that were the case, judges throughout this land would have thousands and thousands of adopted children living in their houses. There would be families of thousands and thousands of people if the legal process meant that every time someone was declared not guilty, the judge had to adopt them. The point I'm making is adoption is not necessary for the legal process to take place. You and I could have been forgiven for our sins justified before God, receive eternal life, restored back to uh, righteousness before God, and yet he could have left us at a, at a lower level of relating to him, where we never knew him intimately other than as the one who has forgiven us. That would still have been incredible, but the Bible doesn't say that justification was God's main point. The Bible says that God chose us to be justified. No, God chose us that we would be adopted as his sons. You see, adoption, in other words, God making you and me his sons and his daughters, God having relationship with us at that intimate level, that was always in the heart of God when Jesus went to the cross. And it says in Ephesians there that we read, he predestined that we would be adopted according to his pleasure and will. Not according to the legal necessities that had to be done. According to his pleasure and will. That means for you and me today, if you've become a Christian and received Christ into your life, you have been adopted as God's son or daughter and the reason that has taken place is because it gives him pleasure to have you in his family. Now, getting hold of that truth and letting that truth really sink deep within our lives is the foundation for everything else in the Christian life. In actual fact, I would say understanding the doctrine of adoption, understanding what God has done and why he did it, 
is actually foundational to the gospel. We can't make any progress in the gospel until we understand that God desired to adopt us through the death of Jesus on the cross. He made a way to adopt us and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he puts his spirit within us so that we we, we know him as father. So there is, a, there is an objective truth to it that is really important. And uh, the other thing to go on to say from uh, Ephesians as well is that... Um, uh, oh, actually, no, I'll turn to Romans. That's, uh, that's a better... Well, I'll quote it without looking for it because the uh, Bible's too small. Uh, in Romans it says, um, For he did not give us a spirit that leads again to fear... But he gave us a spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, the truth I've just told you from the scripture, if I now say to you, right, try really hard to believe that, um, some of you will think, yeah, I, I can just really get that straight away. Others of you might think, well, I hear what you're saying, but it's just like bouncing off me. Uh, does God really see me as his child? Does he really feel that intimately about me? And the reason we will have all sorts of different responses to that in this room is because every single one of us in this room has got lots of different experiences of what it means to be a child of someone. So some of us may have had good experiences of um, family life or of fathers. Uh, others of us, you may be here and it's a bit of a nightmare for you even now. And you think, man, alive. Uh, to be adopted to, you know, into a God's family, well, I don't really know what a good family feels like. I, I, I wouldn't really know what I'm supposed to feel. How, what do I do with that? Some of you might be going through all sorts of strange things there might be all sorts of dysfunctions and pain and difficulty and and I would say that particularly for your generation particularly in the west and particularly in the UK family dysfunction is such a big issue that I I don't have to be a prophet to say that within this room there are going to be numbers of people who have come from even this week come out of situations back at home and you're perhaps even thinking when you go back home man what's it going to be like it's really difficult and with parents or separation or divorce or you live with one and not with the other and, or, or step parents and all kinds of stuff. It's all kinds of stuff. So for me to just lob out scripture text to you and say, well, that's true. So really try hard to believe it. For many of us, we think, man, I, I don't know. What do I do with that? I want to believe it. Actually, in fact, I do believe it because it's in the Bible. But do I feel it? Whereas the Bible says he sends his spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's the job and the work of the Holy Spirit to produce within us feelings that make us cry out in radical awareness and reality of knowing the reality of it. Make us cry out, Father, you really are my heavenly father that's the work of the holy spirit now i'll come on to how that takes place in a moment because there is um there is uh, instruction in scripture about that but just to perhaps help you understand just for my own story now my father died when i was nine 
so very, I was very young. I can't remember much about him. I can't really remember his voice. I can't remember much about him at all. And so most of my life, uh, I grew up without a father at home. My mother remarried in my late teens. So I know what it's like also to have a stepfather who we didn't get on at all to start with. And um, later on, uh, amazingly, he came to know the Lord and had a remarkable conversion and we became very close. Um, But throughout most of my upbringing, I didn't understand what it was to relate to a father at all. Uh, when I became a Christian at the age of uh, 17, um, I can remember distinctly having an experience of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I came from a church background that didn't particularly believe in uh, the power of the Holy Spirit or gifts of the Spirit or anything like that. So I hadn't, hadn't been taught anything um, other than there wasn't anything to encounter. So uh, if you don't know what there is, you don't get it. Uh, so I just was a Christian as best I knew how but it was a little bit kind of well I'm trying here but not getting very far and I can remember one night I, I felt God speak to me in, in in what I can only describe as a, a, a deep way in my heart it wasn't audible but it was nevertheless so compelling that I knew I knew it was not from my own imagination and I felt God say I want you to kneel by your bed uh, and pray as I did I just knelt there and, and didn't really know what to do next because he didn't tell me he just said kneel there uh, and all I can say is there was a, a, a moment of encounter when God met with me I, I would say it was when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit which I'll come on to explain a bit more about in a minute where although I was a Christian and the, the Holy Spirit was indwelling me so you can't you can't be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit is indwelling you so yeah, we're born again of the Spirit, the Spirit lives within us. But there's a difference between indwelling and infilling. And the Bible says, even in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse um, 14, I think it is. I'll just try and read this because it's an important verse. Uh, it says, um, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. Having believed, right, so after believing, having believed, believing is what you do first, having believed, you were marked with a seal. So something, the Bible says, takes place that is different from conversion. It can happen at the same time as conversion or it can happen sometime later. And I'd come to know the Lord, so having believed, I'd believed, God marked me with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And he, he came upon me in that uh, moment. Um, I didn't particularly uh, manifest any spiritual gifts or anything like that at that stage because I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know anything about speaking in tongues or prophesying or any of those things at all. I just had an encounter with God. And what happened then, in that moment, was the Holy Spirit made me aware that God was my Father. Something within me cried, Abba, Father. And from that day to this day, I've never had any problems whatsoever knowing intimacy with God. Because God, the point was this, God cleared out of the way in me all the barriers and the obstacles and the hindrances 
that would prevent me from really understanding what it was to have a relationship with God as Father. I didn't clear them out of the way. I didn't think my way through it and do mental gymnastics to make myself understand what it was to be loved by God. God, by the Spirit, did it. Now, I want to say to you, each one of you will be at different stages in your walk with God. I can say this, that God wants to, by the Spirit today, give you greater and greater degrees of intimacy and revelation as to your adoption as sons and daughters. He will want to keep doing that. So we grow in it. Uh, Paul talked about, I pray that you would grow in height and width and length and breadth, knowing the greatness of God. So there's always more to know. We never, we never get to the end of it. But we, we should be constantly on a journey where we're experiencing more and more of the intimacy of God because we know our identity in God. Does that make sense? Hello? You can talk to me. Does that make sense? Right. So there's something God does to us and in us by the Spirit. Now you might think, okay, well, how does that happen? Uh, how can that, can that happen today? What, what, what do I need to do? Well, Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 37, he said this. If a man or woman, he said, if, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this, he meant the spirit who was later to be given to those who believed. So all you and I need to be in order to receive from God is number one, we need to be convinced that the Bible promises it, that the truth that I read at the beginning is true, that God has adopted us as his children. He wants to have that intimate family relationship with us as, as sons and daughters. We need to be persuaded that's a promise, and the promise is for each one of us. We also need to be thirsty, and we need to say, Lord, I want everything you've got. I want everything you've got. In actual fact, Lord, I can't really rest until I get from you what I'm hungering, thirsting for. This isn't like a mild interest. Jesus didn't say, well, if a man is mildly interested, uh, let him come to me and we'll have a little discussion and see what can take place. Now, if a man is thirsty, thirst in the New Testament was a serious business because it wasn't like, oh, I'm a little bit thirsty, I think I'll go and get a can of Coke. No, it wasn't that. Thirst, well, I've got to get some water here because uh, I don't know where there, there isn't water on tap. There was no running water. You had to find water and wells and brooks and streams and things. You had, water was a serious business. So if a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is offering uh, hope in a desperate situation. You say, if you're really thirsty, if there's something within your spirit that says, I'm just so thirsty for God, no, nothing else will do. In actual fact, you can get to the point with natural thirst where you can't think about anything else. Anyone ever been that thirsty? We think, I just can't think about anything else. I've just, got to, I've just got to have a drink. I don't care. I'm going to just push people out of the way just to get to the front of the queue at the coffee bar. I don't, I don't care. I've just got to get some, some uh, liquid. It becomes all-consuming. Thirst can become drivingly all-consuming. That kind of thirst is what God wants amongst us all. And sometimes he even puts a little bit of salt on our lips just to help stimulate that process. Maybe through this week God's been stirring you about the state of your walk with him. He's been stirring you, making you hungry, thirsty, longing 
aspiring, feeling slightly fidgety, perhaps even thinking, I just want to know more of God, but I'm just longing for breakthrough. I'm longing for more, longing for more, longing for more. That in itself is a work of the Holy Spirit, stirring us to want God so that he can meet with us. So choosing, knowing that we're chosen, knowing that we're adopted by God, knowing that he... um, sees us as sons and daughters that's not a byproduct that's not an afterthought that's what God had in mind all the way through you are loved by our father so when we come to talk about praying praying is really just developing the relationship that's what prayer is it's not uh, a, a religious ritual you have to go through it's not like sort of um going up to to someone and reciting some things just to keep them happy Uh, you've got to understand if you and I never prayed ever again if we never read our Bibles ever again if we never witnessed of our faith in Christ ever again if we never did anything that was of any kind serving God ever again he would not love us any less we don't do those things to be loved we do those things because we're loved It's the love of Christ that compels us, draws us. I enjoy praying. I'm not very good at it. And you might think, oh, well, is it possible to become good at it? Well, the Bible says no, apparently. So in in Romans 8, 26, it says, we do not know how to pray. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit helps us. So if you think to yourself, I'm really not very good at praying. Well, the Bible says, yep, you're quite right. I agree with you. You're not very good at praying. You'll never be any good at it. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us. So prayer for me is, is, is the journey into a relationship with God, where God is the one who's initiated it, is sustaining it, will bring it to completion and maturity. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work hard at it to maintain it. I just have to engage with my father. At the end of the day, I'm his child. You are his child. We are his children. He's the responsible one. We're the ones who are dependent. And maybe for some of you who have grown up in a home where you've had to grow up very young and become the parent in some cases, had to sort of take responsibility at home very young, what, ca- what that can mean is that we end up taking over responsibility when it comes to our relationship with God. And we feel that we have to sort everything out. Whereas actually the first thing you and I need to do is to learn just to let God be our father and to realize, you know what? He loves me. He loves me. I don't need to know anything other than that. He loves me. That's where we start. That's base, that's base camp. He loves me. He chose me. And he wants me to, to flourish in that. So choosing is really important. And that bedrock of truth and, and the experience of the Holy Spirit making that real and we'll we'll get some opportunity just to pray for for you uh, at the end of the meeting because i believe the holy spirit is a work of the spirit it's not a work of your mind or your emotions it's a work of the spirit the holy spirit will always fall where ground is thirsty so if you're thirsty he will he will he will fall upon you he will infill you and i'm believing that um revelation will take place uh, uh, perspective will be changed not by you trying to do it but the Holy Spirit will do some things because he's the one who does that having believed you're marked with a seal the promised Holy Spirit some of you may receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit for the first time 
Second thing, very quickly, is you think, well, okay, if that's true, how do I then live a life? Uh, I mean, I've been a Christian now, um, uh, oh dear, 40 years. 40 years. I'm really old. 40 years I've been a Christian. Uh, and you think, well, how, how do you sustain that? Well, Jesus said in, in John 14, he talks about uh, abiding. And you can look up these verses for yourself and read them later. But if you just want to look up, just look up John fourteen fifteen. Read those, read those chapters. Jesus talked about abiding, and he uses the image of a of a vine. And he says, "You and I have been uh, like crafted, spliced into a vine. And what happens is the the nourishment from the root of the vine uh, comes up, and we're like branches that have been." Uh, uh, spliced in and all the nourishment of God all the life of God all the power of God the energy of God the forgiveness of God the goodness of God the 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 changing power of God flows from the vine up into the branches we don't as a branch we don't produce life within ourselves we're not if the branch was cut off on its own it would wither and die Jesus uses that image to say the way you flourish as a Christian is just to stay connected stay connected into the vine just keep drawing on God keep drawing on him keep available to him keep in a dependent position see branches are dependent they're not proactive you never find a proactive branch on a tree talking to the trunk of the tree or the roots of the tree and saying I'm here I'm here guys Uh, a branch is a product a branch relies completely on the the trunk and the roots for its nourishment it's sustaining you and I are only kept as Christians we're only kept near to God because of the nourishing sustaining power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus says if you want to be fruitful as a Christian abide remain stay close stay close stay close one of the most important lessons I've learnt um, when it comes to prayer is that it's important to give God my attention and my time now those two they, those can sound like the same thing but they're not it's possible to give someone my time but I'm not giving them my attention you ever had a meeting like that with someone you think I'm talking to you but you're thinking about something else yeah so you can give someone your time, but you're not giving them their, your attention. Likewise, you can give someone your attention, but you may not have a lot of time to be with them right now. But they know that your, your mind is on them, that, you're, that they're deeply in your thoughts. You, you care deeply about them. You're thinking about them a lot. You're, you're, your attention is on them, but for whatever reason, busyness or whatever, you can't give them a lot of time at the moment. Now, what God wants from us as a lifestyle is that we give him our attention. That means we live life, even when we're very busy and there's lots of other things going on, and you can't get a lot of undistracted time with him, we can still live giving him our attention. So our attention is constantly toward the Lord. And then we also need to give him our time. Now, the thing with prayer is that it's not essential to give God hours and hours of time before prayer is fruitful or helpful or effective. But 
it would also be true to say that the more time we learn to give God and, and the more time we just give him um, throughout life, it will have an effect both on answers to prayer and it will also have an, an effect on our growth in God. Now, depending on our personality, some of us are introverts and we like... Uh, hands up if you're an introvert. You probably won't even put, want to put your hand up to that question if you're an introvert. But put your hand up if you're an introvert, right? And you, you like solitude, walking on the beaches, just kind of journaling, being your own company. You're energized by your own company. How many people are energized by their own company? This is a great place on the campsite to be, isn't it, if you're an introvert. Energized by your own company. Introverts will usually have to go and sit in the toilets for 10 minutes every now and again just to find themselves again because there's just too many people. Um, hands up if you're an extrovert you're energised by being with people and by noise and hustle and bustle and energy and activity and it doesn't matter what it is as long as it's noisy you're just energised by people give me people well now the, 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 there are challenges for both types of people when it comes to prayer extroverts will probably find it difficult if I said to you well what you need to do is to read your bible and journal and meditate on scripture for sort of half an hour a day in silence and you know get away from everybody and just really think deeply about you'd be thinking man alive what have I done wrong Uh, because it's just going to be very difficult for you to engage in that kind of thing if I said that to the introverts, they'd be like, oh, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. You know, you're talking, I'll, I'll buy the biggest journal I can think of. I'm just going just gonna to be, I'm in the zone. I'm loving it, it sounds great. Now what we have to do is just realise that find what works for you, what helps you give attention and time to God. Find whatever works for you and then do it. If it's best for you to go for a walk, buy a dog. I don't know. Just whatever you need to do that actually you think, well, I have to take the dog for a walk every day, so I'm just going to have to pray. Uh, whatever you need to do to, uh, to help you connect with God regularly in a sustained way through your lifestyle, do it. I believe it was Spurgeon, or it's quoted as being Spurgeon, so, but it sounds good, so I'll say it was him who said it. Um, uh, he was asked, you know, how often do you pray? And he said, well, uh, all the time, but never for more ten, never more than for ten minutes at once. Uh, in other words, that he he believed in sort of constant prayer through the day, but he would often sort of break that up into sort of sections, so because it was easier for him to concentrate that way. Other people you'll find will speak to you and they say, "Oh yeah, I was able to you know really have a good hour with the Lord this morning or whatever," and you think, "Wow, that's that's impressive." But to them, it's not difficult because it's just how they're wired. So we mustn't compare ourselves with anybody else. Jesus, it says, he used to take himself off um, to be alone. Now, whether that's because he was an introvert or whether it was just simply pragmatics that he needed to just get away from the crowds that kept chasing him. So he just needed to get get away where he wasn't going to be interrupted. That was the main point of it. And it says that he prayed with loud cries and tears to his father in heaven. So there was emotion involved. There was, enga- there was engagement. It was a time when he, he really connected strongly with his father and so I, I I'm not going to particularly talk about techniques of how to pray because I think each one of us needs to we learn how to pray all right if you want to learn how to pray God will teach you that that's so if you came thinking I'm looking for the I'm looking for the secret how do I how do I do this is there a book I can buy that tells me do this and oh, it's all sorted I'm going to disappoint you because yes there are some great books with some helps and tips and all the rest of it but the only way you learn how to pray is by praying 
and developing your own personal, unique relationship with God, your Father. Because each one of us is different. He's got a different kind of way of relating to each child because we're all made uniquely and he wants us all to connect with him in some ways uniquely, not by just copying what someone else has done. There are certain things I could tell you that, uh, that I've found helpful over the years, but I, I think at this stage, all I want to do is, if, if at the end of this you're more thirsty for the presence of God and you're more thirsty to know your adoption as sons and daughters and you're more secure in the fact that you know actually God has pursued you from the beginning, you haven't pursued him, and out of that there's a longing in your hearts to just give him your attention and your time more and more and more as you grow, then job done because you will you will find how to pray you will you will find that you will learn how to do it all I would say is keep working at it even when times are tough even when it feels like you're praying in cold blood do it you don't have to feel a certain way for prayers to work the bible says you know present your requests to God doesn't say present your requests to God uh, when you're happy or when you're feeling really on point and able to concentrate, it just says present your requests with thanksgiving. Now that's, that's not reliant on our emotions. It's not reliant on whether we're in a good time or a bad time. You just do it. You just keep doing it. And my experience would be sometimes I have fallow times of spiritual encounter where I just, you know, you feel like you're praying to the ceiling. I just keep going. I just keep going. Sometimes I've had times when I've sat down to pray and 15 minutes later you're staring out the window thinking, what am I doing? I haven't done anything. Uh, and in the end I've said to God, Lord, that to me seemed a complete waste of time, but I'm here for you. I'm here for you, so I just give that 15 minutes to you. Do what you can with it. I believe even that, even that God is able to do more than we ask or imagine is what the Bible says. So our prayer output is not dependent on us being really spiritually on point. It's not dependent on our clever words. It's not dependent on how much Bible you know or how strongly and loudly you pray or how persistent you are. It's not dependent on any of those things. It's dependent on this. God loves you and he's able to do more than all we ask or imagine. So even our limited prayers, he's able to go way beyond, way beyond in answer what we put in as an input. So stay abiding. Just keep abiding. Keep abiding. Give him your attention and your time. I enjoy God's company. Genuinely, I do. I enjoy his company. I enjoy being with him. It's not a chore for me. I love being with him because he's always saying things that are pretty cool. He's always saying things that help me. Uh, God never ever says anything that will tear us down. He only ever says good things. Even when he's telling us off or correcting us, it always makes us feel better because it's liberating. If you ever have voices in your head telling you you're rubbish, God doesn't think much of you, you're a rubbish Christian, that is not God. That's the, that's the devil. God will never say anything that doesn't liberate you ultimately. Even if there's sin in your life and he's saying, do you know what, you need to stop doing that. You will always feel the warmth and love of a father's love releasing you from something that actually isn't doing you any good and is ruining your life. You won't have fingers pointing at you saying, you're rubbish, you're useless, you're hopeless. God doesn't do that. He only ever wants to free us save us, redeem us, care for us, make us better. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost too good to be true. But that's why Jesus went to the cross, so it can be true. 
So it really can be true that we have a heavenly father who says, they're my boys, they're my girls. I love them. And I'm, I'm working in their lives and I've got a plan for their lives. And if they abide and they, they just keep doing what I ask them, we're not going to go off course. We're going we're gonna to make it. We're going to keep going. We're gonna, and I've got much fruitfulness for them. I've got loads for them to do, for them to be really fulfilled in what I've created them to do and unlocking all the gifts and the calling and the talent and the aspirations within them. I can see it all within there, this potential. I'm going to unlock it. I'm going to bless them. That's how God thinks about us every day. So when we pray, we're just engaging with his agenda. We're not trying to persuade him to bless us. We're just trying to say, Father, here I am. I just want, I want to be closer to you. So last little bit, just want to talk about engaging. Um, and I'll just very, very quickly touch on this because um, the only kind of instruction we have in Scripture to the question of, well, how do we pray is when the disciples asked Jesus that same question. And it is fascinating to me, Jesus didn't teach the disciples how to preach. He told them to go and preach, but it doesn't, there's no record of him telling them how to do it. Uh, so it might, have been, it might have been awful. But you know, he never, we don't know what, we did, we don't know what techniques they used or you know, anything like that. It's not, it's not recorded for us. Uh, what is recorded for us is where they asked Jesus, how do we pray? And his answer was, when you pray... You say this, uh, and then he gave them what we know as the Lord's Prayer, which is really uh, a set of marker marker boys on the journey. So, Father, our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And what I would suggest is if, if you want just, some of, some of us are quite practical, so you might want to go from here and think, right, what do I, how do I practically start to build a sustainable prayer life? I would say just take that model and don't, rest, don't recite the prayer as a prayer. I mean, you can do that, but that's not, I think, what Jesus was getting at. And what I try to do, whether I've got 10 minutes to pray or whether I've got an hour to pray, I will just break that prayer down into headings. So I always start Father. I always start Father. And I just thank him, draw near to him, engage with God as Father before I do anything else. And move on to hallowed be your name. So I'll then think about some aspect about God's character or his nature. Give him thanks for that. Say, Father, thank you that you're kind. You're so kind to me. Thank you for the kindness I can see all around me to other people. Lord, you're kind in this situation. You've really been kind there. Just pick up on a characteristic of God and hallow his name. Bless his name for what he is. That can be a different different um, attribute every day or whatever, or something that just particularly uh, comes to you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's where you really get stuck into your list of, right, right Lord, break out in this situation, save my parents save my brother help me at this exam I've got help me to know what to do about that job offer I've had let your kingdom come Lord heal this situation that my friends are going through where you're starting to really ask him to do some stuff you get into the war room you get into the war room at that point let your kingdom come let your will be done Lord show me what to do help me in that relationship is that relationship of you Tell, tell me what to do help me father to line my life up so it's pleasing to you Give me daily bread. Lord, you know I need, I'm going to uni, I need a job when I get there. Give me the daily bread I need. Give me a job. Help me, Lord, to, to have all that I need. So you start praying for provision. Forgive me for, for, for my sin. I want you to notice, so please notice this. 
Forgiveness for sins comes quite a long way down the list. So never start by saying, Lord, I'm coming to you. I just want to confess all the bad things I've done uh, and just clear that out of the way. Lord, I'm such a terrible sinner. I know I let you down here. I got angry with a cat. I kicked, kicked my brother. I did all sorts of things I shouldn't have done. But Lord, I just come to you asking you to forgive me. I tell you what, if you start like that, the devil will just come alongside. He'll give you a spade as you're digging the hole for yourself. And he'll say, yeah, there's a few more things you did wrong as well. He'll just keep reminding you more and more things. So you actually start your prayer time just being able to peep over the top of the hole that you've dug for yourself. Jesus didn't say, clear the decks before you come to me. He said, start farther. You can deal with the sin stuff if stuff comes to your memory a bit later on. So do it in the order Jesus said, and then forgive those who sinned against us. Make sure if you're harboring any ill will towards anyone, just release forgiveness. Give forgiveness. Give forgiveness. You might have to do that again and again and again for some people, but do it. And then lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Just pray, God, keep me safe. Keep me from making stupid mistakes. Keep me from uh, getting involved in wrong relationships and wrong things. Deliver me, Lord. Help me. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You will do it all. Now, I've just told you in a few minutes there, uh, uh, that's a lifetime's navigation of how to pray to God. And that's what Jesus instructed his disciples to do. So if Jesus is saying, that's the way to structure your prayer life, I would say, do the same thing. Okay, um, we've got 10 minutes left. Uh, I'm just going to, we'll we'll pray shortly, but I just want to give opportunity. Are there any burning questions from what I've said? And I'll repeat the question in the microphone. Are there any burning questions that you want to ask we'll only do just a few minutes of this because obviously time is going but any questions on anything I've said that you think um, I'd just like to ask a bit more about that feel free to say wow a room full of teenagers with no questions that's a miracle or you just think I don't know you well enough yet I don't know what you're going to say are you going to bite at me no I'm not going to bite at you any, uh, seriously there's no silly questions any question is has what I've said made some sense? Talk to me. Right, so, you, so it's connecting. Right, that's, that's a relief. Uh, so any, any, really, any, any questions at all? Doesn't worry, don't worry if there isn't. Oh yes, there is one. Okay, shout it out. Yeah, great question. I'll repeat that. Uh, when I said no one is good at prayer, what, how do we relate then to people who feel a call to prayer or who perhaps are what we might call prayer warriors? Um, I think that at the, uh, the bottom line is none of us ever, according to Scripture, really fully know completely how to pray. So I think the Bible says that as a reassurance because we will always feel that our prayers are still heading somewhere rather than of having arrived. We will always feel a longing. It's a bit like the longing in the Scripture says now we... Now, you know, now we um, see in part, then we will see face to face. So it's almost like a bit of the sense of we know Jesus and we're close to Jesus, but until we're with him, there is always something that's slightly imperfect about it. And so I think our prayer life will always be a longing for nearness to God that we never quite completely feel we've satisfied ourselves that we've really connected with him. Having said that, there are people that scripture talks about. I mean, Paul talked about someone called Epaphras. Uh, and he says, oh, he, he wrestles in prayer for you. 
Now, I don't think everybody is an Epaphras, otherwise Paul wouldn't have picked him out and said, oh, he's a particular sort of prayer wrestler or prayer warrior, as, as you call it there. So I think there are some people who have a special grace on them, and they seem to have an ability to pray longer, harder, with more fervor. They wrestle, and they're the sort of people you want praying for you. you know. Um, but not all of us necessarily have the grace to, to do that, uh, to that level. So I, if that clarifies a little bit yeah okay uh, uh, yeah that's a good question we'll we'll, uh, that's good to bring that out um so what i'd like to do now i'm just uh, perhaps you could all stand and i'm just going to pray for us you can stretch your legs a little bit and um now um apparently there are a whole load of people with red caps on somewhere or there will be if look at that if you could put your red caps on Uh, they're just going to um, be milling about, helping, um, just serving what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Um, when we get to half past, um, we will officially end. Uh, and if you need to go, go. Um, but if you want to stay and God is doing something uh, as we're praying for you, then that's absolutely fine. We'll just we'll just keep serving until. Um, there's no one left to serve. Um, anything else I need to say, Jody, about that before we... Is that right? Because uh, uh, once we get going, I may not be able to <laughs> pull it back. So, uh, okay, that's fine. So, what's really important now is, firstly, that you're thirsty for the Holy Spirit. Because if you're not thirsty, then he, he can't water... He, he, can't, he can't quench something that isn't there. Now, I think most of you are thirsty, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Um, unless you took a wrong turn and you're in the wrong seminar and you didn't like to leave. But most of you, I think, are here because you want to be here, because you have a hunger for God, you have a thirst for him, and you want more of him. Um, and Jesus said, actually, all you need to be is thirsty. Don't need anything else, just be thirsty. And believe his promises. Jesus has made promises. In in the book of Acts, it said, when um, Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on them. There was an infilling. And he said, this promise is for you, your children, for their children, and for all who are afar off. All. That means this generation now, here, today. All. If you're not part of all, then you don't qualify for the promise. But you are. Every single one of us is part of all. A promise was made that the Holy Spirit has been given for all who the Lord our God shall call. So if you know Jesus this morning, there is a promise of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that you can come to God right now and say, Father, I'm believing your promise. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for more of you. I'm asking you to fill me with the Holy Spirit right now and I'm now going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, many people, when they receive the Holy Spirit, the most important thing that will start to happen is you will, f- you will probably feel a sense of uh, the awareness of the presence of God, this sort of uh, spirit of adoption. You feel a sense of God drawing near to you that, that, or awareness of God loving you, awareness of God's presence. That's good. Sometimes it's accompanied by spiritual gifts. Some of you might start wonder just speaking in tongues. That might be something that you've, you've uh, done before. 
uh, or you, you may not ever have had that. It's just a prayer language, uh, not a language that you've learned. It's a language the Spirit gives you where you pray by your Spirit. And actually, you're praying prayers that are just very powerful, very pure. You're praying prayers to God out of your spirit, not out of your mind. Uh, it's not coming from your thought. It's coming from your heart. And uh, that may happen just as, um, and, and, you know, just, just begin to join in. Some of us will begin to do that. God may just give you grace just to begin to move in that gift. Uh, other things may happen. You may feel a sensation of God drawing near to you. I feel that for most of us this morning, this awareness of God as Father is a massive deal, actually, and that that's the one just to start with. So if you're thirsty for the Lord, then just where you are, just lift your hands to him, just cup your hands together as if you're going to receive water. Just put your hands together and just say, Father, just fill me now, just across this room, just say, just say to him, pray to him, say, Jesus, fill me now with your spirit, I'm thirsty. I ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just pray where you are. Don't worry about people around you. Just pray out loud where you are. Fill me, Holy Spirit.